Sermon 4 There are God's servants still remaining on this earth. 1 Kings 22nd chapter, verses 1 through 40. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micah, the son of Emlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chena, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hands of the king. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak encouragement. And Micah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micah, shall we go over to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. 
And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Shena, went near and struck Micah on the cheek and said, Which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, Take Micah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. The blood ran out of the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then, as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria.
Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahazah, his son, reigned in his place. Today's scripture passage from 1 Kings 22nd chapter verses 1 through 40 describe King Ahab's death. This passage tells us that King Ahab was killed because he ignored the words of God's servant. Ahab was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, while Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. These two kings had joined forces to attack Syria, but in the course of battle, King Ahab was shot to death. Just as Micah had prophesied the will of the Lord, God, Ahab was defeated and died in the battle. As we know very well, after King Jeroboam established the northern kingdom of Israel, he ended up replacing the God of truth with golden calves to consolidate his reign and meet his carnal ambitions. He provoked the wrath of God by appointing ordinary people into the priesthood to offer sacrifices to these golden calves, and he turned into a heretic by also changing the date of the Day of Atonement. As the people of Israel blindly followed Jeroboam to wherever he led them, they came to practice evil, and consequently they had to be judged by God for their abominable sins. Because they had willingly followed the sins committed by Jeroboam, the God of truth was provoked to anger at all the people of Israel and its kings. God then decided to judge those who were following the sins of Jeroboam, both physically and spiritually. However, there were countless kings and people in Israel who followed the sins of Jeroboam. So to make them turn around from this offense, God allowed extraordinary trials and sufferings to descend on them. King Ahab brought on war. Although war broke out frequently between Israel and Syria, for three years before Ahab's death, there was no war at all. Usually, these conflicts were one-sided, often triggered by Syria's invasion and raiding of Israel. But every time the people of Israel faced a dire situation, God had sent his servants to rescue them and solved all their problems. This time, however, it was King Ahab himself who wanted to wage a war against Syria. This was brought about by God's permission. The background to the war is as follows. For quite some time, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and Ahab, the king of Israel, both had wanted to recover Ramoth-Gilead, a city that was lost to Syria. Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, 
then said to Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, Wasn't Ramah and Gilead originally our territory, but it now belongs to Syria? How can we then sit idle? As King Jehoshaphat agreed with King Ahab, they decided to go to war against Syria. Here we see that both kings were engaged in an uncomprehensible behavior. Since King Jeroboam and the people of Israel had worshipped golden calves as their gods before the Lord God, they were fated to be hated by him. In contrast, the southern kingdom of Judah had adhered to the God-established sacrificial system and his statues until then, and its people were still abiding by them. Unlike the kings of Israel, in other words, no king of the southern kingdom of Judah had replaced the Lord with golden calves. Yet, and therefore Judah and its people were able to remain as God's cherished nation and his people. However, King Jehoshaphat of Judah was now collaborating with the king of the northern kingdom of Israel despite the abominable sins it was committing against God. And this was also a grievous offense. The northern kingdom of Israel was still worshiping the golden calves aboard by God, and it had undermined his law by changing his priesthood to be filled with ordinary people rather than the descendants of Levi. That the people of Israel had replaced the Lord God with golden calves and believed in them instead was a mortal sin that deserved the punishment of hell from God. Such sins had originated from King Solomon's marriage to foreign women. It was because of these Gentile women who came into Israel that King Solomon and the people of Israel were exposed to countless idols. On account of this sin committed by King Solomon, God split the nation of Israel into two. Thus, Jeroboam became the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. But just like Solomon, he also committed grave sins before God. What was worse is that the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel and its people did not even realize that they were committing such grave sins. Therefore, they couldn't turn around from these sins and return to God. On the other hand, King Jehoshaphat of the southern kingdom of Judah knew very well that the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were following the sins committed by King Jeroboam. And yet, despite this, he maintained an open relationship with the northern kingdom and so the southern kingdom of Judah came to increasingly resemble the northern kingdom in committing sin. Although it is hard for human beings to collaborate in good deeds, when it comes to committing sin, there is a marked tendency for them to collaborate with one another easily and resemble each other. However, there still were God-established servants in Israel. Knowing the sinfulness of this nation, these servants of God were calling for repentance. Always standing on God's side, they were rebuking the sins of their people and fulfilling their ministry. 
However, since the faith of the kings of both kingdoms of Israel and Judah were virtually identical, it wasn't hard for the king of the southern kingdom of Judah to join hands with the king of the northern kingdom of Israel and wage war against Syria in an alliance. But Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, still did not believe in the golden calves as God. And so before going to war against Syria, he suggested of King Ahab to seek counsel first from the servants of God and ask them about his will. So the two kings came to call God's servants and ask them about his will. Were there God's servants delivering his will? At that time, there were no less than 400 so-called prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel. Before going into the battle, King Ahab sought to ask these 400 prophets what the will of God was. Then a prophet named Zedekiah made iron horns, and he said that the kings would win this war, prophesying, with these, you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. 1 Kings 22nd chapter verse 11. All the remaining 400 prophets said the same thing as the prophet Zedekiah. As their prophecies were inevitably the same, it seemed as though there was no need to inquire about the will of the Lord any further. However, King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked King Ahab, isn't there another prophet in this kingdom of whom to inquire? King Ahab then answered, yes, there still is one more man. Who is he? He is a prophet named Micah, but he has never prophesied anything good about me. So it was useless to ask him. But still, Jehoshaphat pressed Ahab to call the prophet Micah and inquire him about the will of the Lord God. King Ahab sent one of his men to Micah. When the messenger sent by the king met the prophet Micah, he said to him, 400 prophets have already prophesied unanimously that the king would win the war. So please prophesy the same as they did. But Micah said, I cannot do such a thing before the Lord God. I will prophesy exactly according to what the Lord God says. When the prophet Micah was brought to King Ahab, at first he said, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. These words, however, were not spoken sincerely. So the king asked the prophet Micah to tell the truth, saying, Do not lie to me now. Tell me the real will of the Lord, God. Speak the truth and tell us whether God has indeed said that we would win this battle. How many times do I have to ask you before you really tell the will of the Lord to me exactly? The prophet Micah then prophesied the will of God truthfully, saying, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, as sheep have no master. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. 
In other words, Michael was saying that the king would die in battle if he went ahead with this war. When we turn to 1 Kings 22nd chapter verses 19 to 23, we see that Micah saying the following, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. With these words, the prophet Micah delivered the will of God clearly to Ahab and Jehoshaphat. The prophet Micah had seen God sitting on his throne in heaven, flanked by all the host of heaven on both sides. In this vision, he had heard the Lord God saying, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead to his death? Micah then saw one of the heavenly spirits serving God stand before him and heard him say, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all Ahab's prophets. I will entice Ahab to covet Raboth in Gilead so that he may wage war and die from the battle. The prophet Micah made the will of God known to King Ahab. He explained how the spirits in heaven had consulted before the presence of the Lord God, and he relayed his will clearly to Ahab. He said to King Ahab, if you go into this war, you will not return alive. All those 400 prophets of Israel lied in unison because a spirit of God had become a lying spirit in their mouth and made them lie to you. Then Zedekiah, the representative of the 400 prophets of Israel, confronted Micah and slapped his face, saying in indignation, When did the Lord God leave me to go and speak to you? There are many false prophets like Zedekiah among today's Christian leaders who have turned into heretics. Micah said, You will see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. You will see whether my words are fulfilled or not. The day will come when you will hide in an inner room and you will see my words fulfilled exactly. King Ahab was extremely enraged to hear this. He was infuriated because unlike the 400 prophets of Israel who had all prophesied good things for the king, the prophet Micah alone was prophesying ominous things for him. There is an important message pointed out here that we must all grasp. Just as all the 400 false prophets in today's scripture passage approved King Ahab's plan of war, 
So do all the Christian leaders of today that say they can be saved just by believing in the blood of the cross alone. However, if you believe as they teach, you will end up standing against the gospel of the water and the spirit. There is only one truth of salvation that God has given to mankind, and this is the gospel of the water and the spirit. The Bible makes it clear that it is not through the blood of the cross alone that God has brought salvation to mankind, for he has given us true salvation through the gospel of the water and the spirit. 1 John 5th chapter verses 7 and 8. In John 3rd chapter verses 1 through 16, Jesus himself said, that unless one is born again of water and the Spirit, he is unable to enter the kingdom of God, nor see God the Father. Therefore, if Christians today believe in Jesus as their Savior, without having any faith in the gospel of the water and the Spirit, then they cannot be saved from their sins. If you are one of such Christians, you have to realize that you can be saved only if you believe in the gospel of the water and the Spirit. Moreover, before you are washed from your sins by believing in the gospel of the water and the Spirit, you can neither receive the Spirit of God nor enter the kingdom of heaven. It may be hard for nominal Christians to accept this truth at once, but just as the words of the prophet Micah expose the lying words of Zedekiah, the false prophets, the words of those on this earth that believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit are stumbling blocks to false prophets. God said that although he is willing to bestow his infinite mercy, even amid his wrath, he is not willing to overlook the sins of those who believe in any gospel other than the gospel of the water and the spirit. Many Christians today, Evangelicals in particular say that they have received the remission of sin into their hearts by believing in the gospel of the blood of the cross alone rather than the gospel of the water and the spirit. But have they really been able to blot out their heart's sins? No, absolutely not. On the contrary, God judges precisely those who make such a groundless claim for their sins. That is because if anyone believes that the blood of the cross alone constitutes his salvation, then this means that his sins clearly remain intact in his heart and he is ignorant of the gospel of the water and the spirit. As such, it is the real will of God for everyone to receive the remission of sin, not by believing in the gospel of the cross alone, but by believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit. God has given us faith in his baptism through which Jesus Christ bore our sins and his blood on the cross. This truth is contained wholly in the gospel of the water and the spirit. In this age, there are many people who say that they have been saved from their sin just by believing in Jesus' blood on the cross alone. However, the real gospel is the gospel of the water and the spirit that the Lord has given to all mankind once and for all. The gospel of the water and the spirit does not teach us to believe in just the blood of the cross. The Lord is saying that he has saved us from all the sins of this world through the gospel of the water and the spirit. Jesus is now asking whether you believe in his baptism that he received from John the Baptist and the blood he shed on the cross. God is the Savior who, 
in spite of his wrath toward sinners, still has given the gospel of the water and the spirit to them. So in the case of King Ahab also, it was God's desire for him to turn around from his worship of golden calves, save his soul, lead the people of Israel properly, and return back to God to live before his presence. In other words, to lead the king of Israel and its people to the way of life, God has continued to offer them a chance to repent through the prophet Micah. But King Ahab did not accept into his heart the word of God prophesied by the prophet Micah. On the contrary, he actually stood against the words of the true prophet. By then, there was already no room in his heart to accommodate the word of God. Because King Ahab was solely interested in serving golden calves and maintaining his fame and power, he did not take heed of what the prophet Micah, the servant of the Lord God, was saying to him, and instead he ordered him to be imprisoned. Despite rejecting Micah's warning, however, King Ahab was still nervous, and so he went into the battlefield disguised as a common soldier. He said to King Jehoshaphat, you should go into battle in your royal robes. I will go disguised as a common soldier. Before going into battle, the king of Syria, in Israel's enemy, had ordered his officers to kill only Ahab, the king of Israel. So the Syrian military officers set out to search for King Ahab in the battle, and they saw someone riding a chariot. Thinking that he was Ahab, they all converged on him. But this man on the chariot was actually Jehoshaphat. Seeing the Syrian chariots coming after him, Jehoshaphat fed for his life in fear. The Syrian soldiers were probably shouting out, There is King Ahab, kill him. Jehoshaphat then turned around and saw that they were gaining on him. So he cried out, I am not King Ahab. I am Jehoshaphat. The Syrian soldiers were in hot pursuit, trying to kill him. But once they got near him and realized that he was not King Ahab, they turned around. However, Ahab was still killed in the battlefield, just as the prophet Micah had prophesied. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city! and every man to his own country. 1 Kings 22nd chapter, verses 34 through 36. One of the Syrian soldiers had shot an arrow in random, but it struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Since the soldiers of that time wore armor to protect themselves, most arrows bounced off and did not penetrate too deeply even when hit. 
King Ahab, however, was shot between the joints of his armor, the exact vulnerable spot where the arrow could make its deadly impact. So, wounded in the battle and trying to escape from the enveloping Syrian army, King Ahab then ordered the driver of his chariot, Take me out of the battle. However, the fighting was so intense on that day that even the driver of the chariot could not escape from the battlefield. And so Ahab had to continue to fight from his chariot. The battle raged on into the evening. And as King Ahab fought with his deep wound, the blood ran onto the floor of the chariot and he died in the end. Now that King Ahab was dead in the battlefield, Israel lost the battle. As the battle drew to its close, someone declared the battle to be over by shouting out, every man to his city and every man to his own country. All the armies involved in the battle then returned to their respective lands. With the Syrian army returning to Syria, the army of Israel returning to Israel, and the army of Judah returning to Judah. King Ahab was dead, however. Seeing that their king was dead, the army of Israel brought his body back to Samaria and buried him there. Arriving at Samaria, they washed Ahab's blood off his chariot at a pool, and the dogs licked up his blood. In short, everything had come to pass according to the word of the Lord God, 1 Kings 21st chapter, verse 19. And this pool was one frequented by harlots to bathe. King Ahab died because he had not listened to the prophet Micah. Even though his sins were so many that he deserved to die hundreds of times, if he had just listened to the servants of God and followed their advice by faith, then he still could have lived a long and prosperous life. That is because it is a joy for God to bestow his abundant mercy on even those who deserve to die for their sins and save them. However, if one resists the mercy of God until the end, refuses to believe in it, and stands against it, then God infallibly curses all such people exactly as he said. In other words, the justice of God is fulfilled without fail. At the same time, however, while God is the God of justice, he is also the God of mercy. God has given us the gospel of the water and the spirit and saved us. The false prophets of this age, however, believe and give testimony to that only the blood of Jesus shed at the cross of Calvary is the assurance of salvation. In contrast, the servants of God testify that salvation is brought by the gospel of the water and the spirit. Who then are the real born again servants raised by God in this age? In other words, who are the true servants of God like Micah in this age? And who are the false prophets like Zedekiah? The real servants of God are those who believe in and bear witness to the gospel of the water and the spirit. I hope you pray that you would all realize this truth and find the grace of salvation from God by placing your faith 
in the gospel of the water and the spirit. Although the sins that King Ahab had committed against God were more than enough to justify his death, the direct cause of his death lies in the fact that he did not take heed of the word of God preached by the prophet Micah and instead ignored the will of God. If Ahab had just listened to the prophet Micah and realized that God was about to kill him, he should have turned around and said, Lord, I have sinned against you. If he had admitted that it was wrong for him to have followed the sins of Jeroboam and just turned around and asked for God's mercy to save him, God would not have killed him but spared him. Yet despite this, even though God had made his will known to Ahab clearly through the prophet Micah, Ahab still ignored Micah's warning. That is why he had to die both physically and spiritually. Today's Christianity has been defiled by the servants of Satan. The New Testament writes about the coming of the lawless one to Christianity. It is written in 2 Thessalonians 2nd chapter verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, God has sent the lawless ones to those who deserve to perish in order to punish Christians who follow the sins of Jeroboam. God has permitted the lawless ones to come into Christianity because there already are many people inside Christianity committing the sins of Jeroboam. We see time after time Christian believers who don't believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit, and as a result, they end up losing all their possessions and standing. How has the lawless ones worked in Christianity then? The evil spirits enter the hearts of the believers and work in them through the teaching of false prophets in Christianity. God has permitted this. Why would God the Father then permit such things to happen to Christians who believe in Jesus? That is because they do not believe in the true love of the remission of sin manifested through the gospel of the water and the spirit that God has given us. Rather than preventing such lawless ones from working in Christianity, God has permitted it and left them alone. Why then has God allowed this to happen, letting the spirit of Satan to work in those who actually profess to believe in Jesus while leaving non-Christians alone? That is because instead of believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit, the love of truth, they would rather prefer power, signs, lying wonders, and all unrighteous deception. Through the gospel of the water and the spirit, we must realize exactly how God the Father has saved us from the sins of the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And we must believe in this unwaveringly. It is absolutely imperative for us to grasp whether our Lord has saved us through the gospel of the water and the spirit 
or some other gospel and believe properly. Before we believe in the Lord, we have to realize which gospel is the true gospel. We have to realize whether our Lord has indeed blotted out all our sins with this gospel of the water and the spirit or not. In other words, you have to be able to discern the gospel of the water and the spirit from all the other false gospels and believe in the true gospel. However, for those who have not been born again, it is hard to find out whether the gospel of the water and the spirit is the truth or not. Nevertheless, once they understand the gospel of the water and the spirit, then they can easily realize that the gospel of just the blood shed on the cross is a false gospel. As such, we must realize first of all that it is through the gospel of the water and the spirit that God has saved us from all sins of the world. God is pleased to teach this gospel to all those who want to know the gospel truth of the water and the spirit. Our Lord is more willing to teach this gospel to whoever wants to be saved. Tragically, however, Christians today do not believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit that can bring the remission of sin to them. But instead, they are walking in the way of Jeroboam, trusting in golden calves. Of course, it is true that these Christians also claim that their words, that they believe in Jesus in order to be saved from their sins. But it is not the case that they have actually been remitted from all their sins once and for all by believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit. They are not really concerned about their sinfulness. As such, it is a self-evident fact that the purpose for which these Christians believe in Jesus is just to be healed from their physical illnesses, gain material riches, and earn worldly fame and success. So rather than believing in Jesus as their Savior, they believe in Jesus more as someone who can heal their illnesses and make them rich. This is the kind of God that they want Jesus to be. And it is because so many Christians believe in Jesus for such mistaken purposes that Christianity today has not only failed to become the light of the world, but even worse, it is facing so much criticism from the people of the world as a source of its darkness. Today's Christians must turn around from their mistaken line of faith. They must first receive their true salvation by believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit wholeheartedly and then become the Lord's witnesses to spread the true light of salvation to all the other sinners of the world. God's sight, those who seek only mammon as the real heretics. As such, when God looks at today's Christians, those who only seek prosperity in the material realm even as they profess to believe in Jesus, are absolutely not the ones who believe in God according to his will. God does not allow any prosperity to such people, not even earthly prosperity, saying, Since this is how you believe in me, if I make your body healthy and heal your illness, will you then believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit? Even if God really heals these idolaters' physical illnesses, they won't believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit from then on. But far from it, they will only want to become even richer and happier, ultimately seeking only the lust of their own flesh.
So in the end, their own bellies will become their gods and their hearts will be firmly planted with golden cows. That is why God rebukes them saying to them, when did you ever fear me? If you really fear me, you should first believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit that I have given you. You should thus be washed from all your sins by faith. Only then can you avoid my curses that will descend upon you for having followed golden calves like Jeroboam. The faith of today's Christians is wrong in God's sight. The will of God is to save us from the sins of the world through the gospel of the water and the spirit and make us his children so that we would live for his righteousness while on this earth. Despite the fact that the will of God is to make us prosper in the eternal realm to come rather than on this temporal earth, Christians are still asking him just for worldly prosperity on this earth and to heal their physical illnesses. In other words, even those professing to believe in Jesus as their Savior are actually demanding God to let them live a rich and splendid life on this earth. As such, their faith is not the faith that God really wants them to have. They must throw away such mistaken conceptions and believe in Jesus according to the will of God. Simply put, when God looks at the faith of today's Christians, he sees that such Christians are not the believers whose faith is in accordance with the righteousness. The Bible says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4th chapter verse 3. God detested it when Solomon worshipped idols and being unable to tolerate this sin, he split Solomon's kingdom into two as punishment so that the Israelites would repent. But despite this, far from repenting, the people of Israel actually felt that God's punishment was unjustified and so they sinned even more by directly challenging him. They replaced God with golden calves, corrupted the God-established priesthood, and changed the Day of Atonement set by him with another date. In short, they changed everything. In the end, they drifted far away from God and committed the offense of standing against his righteousness. So God could not tolerate their sins. Today's representative of such people who walk in the way of sin are none other than Christian leaders. These leaders of Christianity today must examine themselves carefully to see whether or not they really know Jesus Christ and believe in him who came by the water and the blood. 1 John 5, chapter, verse 6. In the Old Testament, it was Jeroboam, his sons, and his succeeding kings of Israel, who had turned into collective heretics before God. These people in Israel believed in golden calves as their gods, offered them sacrifices to worship them, replaced priests with ordinary people, changed the date of the Day of Atonement, and put up shrines in lieu of the real temple of God, were all destroyed generation after generation. King Ahab walked in the same way and he was exterminated by God. Likewise, such people today will also be wiped out by God. 
King Ahab was killed in battle. What does this tell us? It tells us that Christian heretics will face death like Ahab in the future. If Christians continue to believe in Jesus with the faith of Jeroboam, they will never avoid the just judgment of God. The lesson from today's scripture passage is this. Just as God had destroyed Ahab, so will he also wipe out all those who don't believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit, and who, far from believing in the love, salvation, and the blessing of eternal life that God has given, have replaced God with golden calves, seeking only such worldly things as material blessings and physical health on this earth, even as they profess to believe in Jesus. If Christians today refuse to believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit and instead stand against the righteousness of God, they will be cursed by God at the end of their lives, just like King Ahab and his house. Non-Christians who don't believe in Jesus at all are actually better off than these Christians since they still have a chance to hear and believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit. When these people finally hear the gospel of the water and the spirit in the future, all that they have to do is just believe in this gospel properly. To such people who don't believe in Jesus yet, God will surely provide them with an opportunity to believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit. But those Christians who seek only material prosperity and physical health while refusing to believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit, God will pour out eternal curses prepared just for them. Realizing that this is indeed what God has told us, all of us must believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit. But what is the faith of most Christians today? Since they don't know the gospel of the water and the spirit, they can't believe in it with their hearts. And what is worse is that they are trying to obstruct those who actually want to believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit. You should realize here that God has allowed the lawless ones to work in Christian communities. The Bible says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2nd chapter verses 9 and 10. That is why unrighteousness, lying wonders, and all kinds of deception abound in today's Christianity. These things have come from the working of the lawless ones. They say since Christians believe in Jesus as their Savior, God the Father also helps them. Even if they have sin, they are still God's people and his children, for they believe in Jesus. God helps his children unconditionally. So if you pray to God faithfully as good Christians and devote yourself to his service, then you will be blessed by God both materially and spiritually to prosper. Christians with superstitious beliefs worship Jesus Christ fervently only with their emotion. My fellow believers, Christianity today is now heading irreversibly into a worldly direction, interested 
only in earthly riches, material success, and physical healing. And such fallacious beliefs are all at their pinnacle. In other words, the work of Satan is at its height now. We can see all around us how Christians who have not been born again believe in Jesus so fervently. But when we preach the gospel of the water and the spirit to them, they reject this gospel truth, saying that it is too unfamiliar to them. Unlike today's Christians, Christian of a generation ago at least agonized over their sins and their hearts were humble enough that they sought to get the problem of their sins solved when they came to the hour of worship. This does not mean, of course, that they actually knew the gospel of the water and the spirit and preached it. However, when a half gospel was preached to them, they used to shed tears in repentance agonized over their sins and believed in Jesus as their savior. But nowadays, it's hard to find any Christian who is so humble. Many Christians in these days attend church just for worldly purposes, so that they would become rich and their businesses would prosper. Many of them believe in Jesus for the purpose of being healed from their physical illnesses and live a long, healthy life. So today's Christian leaders are preaching to their congregation. The Bible says that just as your soul prosper, you will also prosper in your flesh and in all things. If you believe in Jesus, you will be healed from your sickness and whatever you lack, then you will have it. If you give your tithe faithfully, you will be blessed by tenfold. And if you serve your church by faith, you will receive tremendous blessings and you will become wealthy on this earth. Like today's Christianity and its leaders all around the world have been corrupted. If the early church era, the gospel of the water and the spirit had blotted out the people's sins, cleansed their hearts and made them sinless, turned them into God's children, brought the Holy Spirit to dwell in their hearts and led them to live according to the will of God. Today's Christianity, in contrast, has lost the gospel of the water and the spirit. Of course, even those who really believe in Jesus as their Savior still remain in their flesh, so they sometimes need to pray for such things of the flesh. However, the Lord said to us, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Before everything else, one must first be remitted from all his sins by believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit. Only after this should we ask for good health, material needs, and various gifts, for we need such things not for ourselves, but to follow the will of Jesus who came by the gospel of the water and the spirit. However, those who neither know the gospel of the water and the spirit nor believe in it, are only interested in gaining the riches of this world rather than seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. In other words, they have interest in offering a sacrifice of faith to God by trusting in his righteousness, but rather discarding the fundamental reason for believing in Jesus. They are only interested in the meat offered at the sacrificial altar just like the sons of Eli. 
Eli's sons were priests, but they were so corrupted that they even embezzled the offerings meant for the Lord. They used to take the meat from the sacrificial offerings to eat first, even before it was offered to God. Sadly, too many leaders in Christian communities around the world are ministering just like this today. We are now preaching the gospel of the water and the spirit all over the world because it is our responsibility to let every Christian know who heretics really are in today's Christian communities. Every Christian must realize who the real heretics are. When we examine whether Christians have proper faith or not by the standard of the written word of God, many of them are actually found to be heretics. Christians today are prone to accuse one another of heresy. They don't know who really is a heretic according to the Bible because one is able to give the proper definition of heresy only when he understands the gospel of the water and the spirit. The Bible says that a heretic is someone who has condemned himself even as he professes to believe in Jesus. Titus 3 chapter verses 10 and 11. We call God our Father because we have washed away our hearts' sins and cleansed them away by believing in the gospel of the water and the Spirit. In contrast, many Christians who have rejected the gospel of the water and the Spirit make their confession of faith by saying that they've washed away their sins just by believing in the blood of the cross. However, their sins actually remain in their hearts and therefore it is unavoidable for them to confess all by themselves that I am a sinner. It is just people whom the Bible call heretics. I raise this question to today's Christians. Has the Lord really washed away your sins only with the blood of the cross? The true washing of sin is not obtained by believing in the gospel of the cross alone, but it is attained only by believing in the gospel of the water and the blood, which proclaims that the Lord has washed away our sins with both the baptism he received from John the Baptist and the blood he shed on the cross. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he bore all our sins once and for all. With the water of this baptism that he received from John the Baptist, the Lord washed away all our sins. So Christians who don't believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit are warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Today, those who believe only in the blood of the cross have drifted far away from the truth of salvation, the gospel of the water and the spirit given by the Lord. And even as they claim on their own, that they have washed away their sins with the blood of the cross, their hearts are actually rotting away. In short, they have turned into spiritual lepers now. Those who don't believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit cannot help but confess that they have not been able to wash away their sins with the blood shed at the cross alone. However, because God the Father has already completed our salvation, through Jesus Christ, with the gospel of the water and the spirit, whoever believes in this gospel truth of salvation can be remitted from all his sins. 
Despite this, many people in Christian communities are still rejecting the gospel of the water and the spirit out of their ignorance. None other than this is the reason why they are trapped in the sin of self-condemnation. In other words, those who reject that God has saved us from all our sins through the gospel of the water and the spirit are the very heretics that are sinning against God by not believing in the gospel of the water and the spirits. These are the ones whose faith is heretic in God's sight. How did Jesus blot out our sins when he came to this earth? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth incarnated in the flesh of man. And when he turned 30, he fulfilled all the righteousness of God by being baptized by John the Baptist, saying to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3, chapter verse 15. By thus making his son receive baptism from John the Baptist, letting him be crucified and resurrecting him from the dead, God the Father fulfilled all his righteousness. To make atonement for the sins of the world, Jesus bore the sins by being baptized in the Jordan River. He then was crucified and shed his blood to death. And arising from the dead again, he has become our Savior. Most Christians today do not know the gospel of the water and the spirit that God has given us, and so they are rejecting it now. And they say that they have become sinless just by believing in the blood of the cross alone. But this is a completely mistaken belief. For nearly 2,000 years until this date, countless Christians professing to believe in Jesus have believed only in the blood of the cross, but they have always remained sinners. Yet Christians retort by asking what is so wrong about believing in the bloodshed at the cross alone. They say, are you then saying that all these countless people who believe in Jesus will go to hell? So I am so careful not to let my emotion get a better hold of my words but instead my words are based on my faith in the gospel of the water and the spirit. Those who believe in only the blood of the cross rather than the gospel of the water and the spirit are bound to remain as sinners, for their hearts remain always sinful. In contrast, those who believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit are more than able to be saved from sin. No matter how insufficient we may be, if we wholeheartedly believe in and hold on to the truth that the Lord has blotted out our sins with the gospel of the water and the spirit, we can indeed be saved from all our sins. For those of us who believe in this truth, our hearts have already become sinless through the gospel of the water and the spirit as white as snow. As the believers in the gospel of the water and the spirit, there is no sin remaining in our hearts. Because the Lord has blotted out all our sins with the gospel of the water and the spirit, those who now believe in this gospel with their hearts are always and forever sinless.
In other words, our sins are not washed away by believing in Jesus' blood on the cross alone and offering prayers of repentance on our own to ask him to wash them away. Rather, the Lord has saved the believers in the gospel of the water and the spirit by taking upon himself all our sins of this world once and for all through his baptism, which he received from John the Baptist and by bearing the condemnation of the cross for these sins of the world to wash them away once and for all. Unless we wash our hearts from our sins by believing in the baptism of Jesus and his blood on the cross, which constitute the gospel of the water and the spirit, then these sins of ours can never be washed away forever. Jesus Christ came to us by the gospel of the water, the blood, and the spirit. 1 John 5, chapter, verses 6 through 8. That is why we say that Jesus Christ is our eternal Savior. We believe that he is our true Savior precisely because when he came to this earth, he shouldered the sins of the world by being baptized by John the Baptist in order to save us from these sins, was condemned for them on the cross, arose again from his death, and has thereby saved us once and for all. All of us humans were created in the likeness of God. This means by which everyone now is qualified to become God's children by believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit. It is for this purpose that God made us. That is why God the Father sent his son to this earth and let this son accept the sins of the world by being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, carry them to the cross, be crucified to death, and arise from the dead again, thus becoming our everlasting Savior. And God has made this truth known to us and convicted our hearts to believe in it. All of us must know and believe in this gospel truth of the water and the Spirit. When King Ahab refused to listen to the counsel of the prophet Micah, he sealed his own fate. With his stubborn disobedience, Ahab did not just lead himself to death, but he also drove countless men of his own army and the army of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to death. How could Ahab's army continue to wage war when their king was dead? Once the adversaries knew that King Ahab was dead, the Israelites had already lost the battle. Even the officers in the Israeli army were paralyzed by fear when they found out that their king was dead, and so there was nothing they could do but flee for their lives. All because of King Ahab and King Jeroboam, just how many Israelites were led to their own death, deceived by their faith. Countless people in the northern kingdom of Israel perished both spiritually and physically deceived by these kings. Just how many of them died while battling the army of Syria every day? Likewise, 
Christian leaders today are also leading countless believers to hell by rejecting the gospel of the water and the spirit and preaching a false gospel to their congregation. The false prophets of today residing in Christian communities now are exactly like 400 prophets that resided in Israel at the time of King Ahab. Paying no attention to the will of God, they only say what their congregation wants to hear. Just because someone believes in Jesus, is there any guarantee that his business would never go under? Are Christian businesses somehow immune to bankruptcy? Does God never let them go under just because they believe in Jesus? No, it is complete nonsense. Nevertheless, we are still preaching the gospel of the water and the spirit to these mistaken Christians. The born again must unite their hearts with the gospel of the water and the spirit proclaimed by the word of God. And with this faith, they must fight against the propagators of every false gospel. Do you think that this struggle is unnecessary and that we only need to preach the gospel of the water and the spirit? However, as there is a saying that if you know the enemy and know yourself, you can win a hundred battles in order for us to preach the gospel of the water and the spirit to one Christian, we must know their faith and only then can we overcome them by our true faith. With the word of truth, we must save all the heretics that are in the Christian communities. Is this too overwhelming for you? Perhaps you are wondering, are you then saying that even the religious reformers of the 16th century who launched the Reformation did not believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit? The answer is yes. These people did not launch the Reformation movement from the realization of the water and the spirit. You may then ask again, does this mean that only those who believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit are orthodox believers? Again, the answer is yes. Our sole duty is preaching the gospel of the water and the spirit to everyone. Then those who would believe will believe, and even those who don't believe for now will still be saved later on when tribulations come, if they just believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit. If people believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit, they will receive the God-given blessings but if they don't believe in this gospel, then they will not receive the blessings. We have to teach Christians the gospel of the water and the spirit properly. We also have to grasp the heretics in Christian communities, and we must teach this to them clearly. That is why I am now addressing the issue of heresy to Christians around the world. Even now, countless leaders in Christian communities are dragging their congregation into the mistaken belief. It is because of this sin that I am preaching the word of God so that these people trapped in heresy would be saved. Just how many Christian believers are now following the sins of Jeroboam? It is my sincerest hope and prayer that these Christians would all realize that they are now facing terrifying curses from God for worshiping golden calves like Jeroboam, and that one day they would all believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit. 
They must realize that because of their sins, they will be cursed forever in the next world to come. As such, we must have compassion for them, pray for them, and save them from their sins and their faith. We must never overlook their ignorance. Instead, we must have compassion for them, pray to God to save them from their sins, and preach to them by faith the gospel of the water and the spirit, unwavering truth of salvation. It is my hope and prayer that God would enable us to fulfill all this work that has been entrusted to us, and then we shall be able to stand before the God of truth as his good and faithful servants. I pray that the blessing of salvation brought by the gospel of the water and the spirit would all be bestowed on each and every Christian still trapped in heresy. Amen.